Amen, amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, everybody. Everybody here with us at Holmes Avenue in the sanctuary, and then also those of you joining us online. My name is Brian. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors, and I'm grateful uh, that you are here with us this morning. Um, I'm so thankful uh, for that last song, Lord, We Need You, and that is so uh, obvious and present in our lives and in the world that we see uh, that's going on around us today. I want to bring to your attention very quickly before we move into our time of study this morning, as a reminder, uh, our giving. Uh, so if you would like to give uh, to the mission of Holmes Avenue, you can do so via what you see there on the screen or via one of our ushers as you depart this morning. Uh, but there's several different things that you can give to, whether it be general type budget, building uh, fund type stuff, or even Operation Christmas Child. And we would encourage you to do that as we are still in Christmas in July live for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, if this is your first time with us, or first time in a while, or anybody that's joining us online, uh, we have been journeying through uh, several different psalms this summer in our series, Summer in the Psalms. And we have had a great time, I think, so far as we have been journeying through this. And we're continuing in this series looking at these different ways of human response, of, of responding in different ways, whether it be joyful, whether it be praise and adoration unto God, whether it be lamenting over things, sorrow, worry, whatever those type things may be. And we see some of that emotion uh, in the regards to lamenting, crying out to God, and also praise to God via what we see today. Today we are going to be in Psalms 57. Psalm 57, I've entitled the message today, Glorify God. Glorify God. Now, in this psalm, you may see there in your, in your Bibles, it may give you uh, that it is a mitkem. It could be a, a musical type song, something that could be sung unto God. This can be used in all different kinds of places for that regard. Now, I want to give you some context of where David is writing this psalm from today. For our context of this psalm, it's from David's point of view as he has fled from Saul, who was after him. He was seeking to destroy David. David's in the essence of fleeing for his life, which leads to his pleas of mercy unto God, as we see, especially here in the first half of this psalm today. Now, why is it that Saul, King Saul, is after David? Well, to give you kind of a 30,000-foot view of what's going on, Saul was anointed as the king of Israel, and everything looked great, everything looked perfect and great from the outside, but Saul was disobedient to God. He was disobedient against what God commanded of him to do, and we see that in reference of 1 Samuel 15. You can go back there at some point and read, but you can see how he is disobedient to God, and God rejects Saul. He rejects Saul. And this leads to paranoia for Saul because he knows that there's going to be one that is anointed to be the next king, so he's paranoid. He's worried. And in doing so, we fast forward and we see this young shepherd boy, David, who is anointed to be the king of Israel. 
and Saul's bitter jealousy as we continue in 1 Samuel, specifically 22 to 24, those chapters, you see this pursuit after David. We see David's words to this psalm come from this account in Psalm, uh, excuse me, in 1 Samuel 22 through 24, where he's fleeing from Saul and he's in the cave. And that's where he pins this. So Without further ado, let's jump into the Word of God. If you would, let's stand together and read this as we look at Psalm 57. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. There's also the words on the screen. The Word of the Lord. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I will sin from heaven and he will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of God. Let's pray. O God, Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for you. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning God, that as we study your word, Lord, that you would reveal things that we need to see in our daily lives, things that we need to take and apply. Lord, even as we study this today, if there are things that we need to be convicted of, Lord, convict us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, if there are things that we need to repent of before you, Lord, we pray, God, that you would draw us to repentance. God, we pray, Lord, today that you would be exalted that you would be worshiped as we have already sang here this morning in praise to you. Now through the worship of your word, I pray, God, that you would use me, Lord. Lord, use the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth to be pleasing unto you, Father. Speak to our hearts today, Father. May you alone be glorified. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Excuse me. For this psalm today, we see that despite the circumstances of David's life in this moment, he cries out to God for mercy. And in doing so, he exalts the Lord for his goodness. So I have two points for you today. I can't guarantee we'll get out of here any earlier, so just buckle up. But the point number one is this, glorify God by crying out to him. Glorify God by crying out to him. Again, in verse one, it reads, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful for me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. 
David starts here in this psalm by pleading unto God to be merciful, to show grace to him. Notice he says it there twice. You can see just how worn, how weary, how this fleeing from Saul's pursuit is, is messing with David in a sense. He's crying out, he's pleading unto God for relief from the circumstance. Interject a question there. Have you ever been there? Think through that. Have you ever been in a point in your life where you are just so burdened, you're so weary, you're so worn, you're so tired, whatever it may be, and you're crying out to God, Lord, be merciful to me, be merciful, show grace in whatever this circumstance is. We know why David is saying that he's burdened, given what Saul is persistently trying to do, but why is it that David pleads with God? You may say, well, that's a silly question. He's crying out to God. And I would say yes, because it's in David's soul that God, I mean, in God that David's soul takes refuge. It means that God is a shelter for David. God is a shelter for his people. You may remember, bless you, from when Dr. Johnson last week when he was preaching for us a wonderful message, I encourage you to go back and listen if you hadn't from Psalm 46. But at the very beginning of that Psalm, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That's Psalms 46, one. We take refuge in God, sheltering from the troubles of this world. And for David, he's in trouble, is he not? We see here in this moment, he is in trouble. He is crying out and pleading with God. Now he says there in verse 57 that it is in the shadow of your wings that I take refuge. And in my studying for this sermon, I came across this beautiful quote from John Calvin. Listen with me. David had committed himself in short entirely to the guardianship of God and now experienced that blessed consciousness of dwelling in a place of safety, which he expressed in the beginning of the 19th Psalm. The divine protection is compared to the shadow of wings because God as protection is compared to the shadow of wings, excuse me, as I have elsewhere observed, the more familiarly to invite us to himself is represented as stretching out the wings like the hen or other birds for the shelter of their young. The greater our ingratitude and perversity in being so slow to comply with such an endearing and gentle invitation. He does not merely say in general that we would not, or that he would hope in God and rest under the shadow of his wings, but particularly that he would do so at the time when wickedness should pass over him like a storm or a whirlwind. You see, David's declaration here of hiding in the shelter of God's wings is this place of protection for him until the storms of destruction pass him by. We have an image here of the protection of God for his people amid difficulties. I'll give you another example. You may remember in your life a time where you needed that embrace of your parents Whatever the circumstance may have been, you needed them to be there. You felt comfortable and protected in their embrace. 
If one of my kids, something happens, uh, a storm is raging outside and they're fearful, they'll come and they'll jump up in our lap and they feel comforted there in the protection of our arms, of our embrace. It's that same type image. We feel comfortable and at peace in the protection of God's wings, trusting that he will be with us, that he is with us, that he provides protection in the midst of difficulty. David is crying out to God, be merciful to me. I am comforted in the shadow of your wings because the destruction that is after him is Saul's pursuit. Verse two reads, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Do not miss the beauty of this verse of what David is doing. He's crying out to the God most high, the God most high who fulfills his purposes for him. There is recognition by David of the sovereign power of God. Amid the worry and the fear, David is trusting in the I am. In the creator, the God most high, Jehovah, Yahweh, he's trusting in him and he knows that God will intervene. David is setting a good example to us of a natural human response for those who trust in the Lord, who have been redeemed. When we face difficulties, do we not cry out to God? We go to him because he is our refuge and strength. Now, a really quick aside. If we're only going to God when things are difficult, there's a problem there. I dare say there may even be a pride issue. We cannot understand this life to say, hey, when things are good, I've got it under control. I'm gonna take care of it. No, 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 how dare we? When things are going well, we trust that God is providing the means for us. Therefore, we praise him, we worship him, which will come along here in a few moments that we'll see David does. But we give God the glory that he alone deserves, not anything of ourselves. So we have to do that as well as crying out to him in the difficulty, trusting that we can be okay and comforted in the refuge of his wings. It is God most high that he's crying out to. Verse three reads, he will send from heaven and save me. He will put shame to him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. David continues on from verse two, expounding that the Lord will send out from heaven to save him. In doing so, God will put Saul to shame as he tramples after David. Does this necessarily mean that God will send down a legion of angels to fight on one's behalf? He could do that if he chose to do so, but we understand this point to the provisions that God continually makes for his people. Let me give you a couple of quick reminders. Remember in the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus. God has delivered the people from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and upon doing so, they are in the wilderness, and they are waiting and going about this journey for 40 years. And in their wandering and their waiting, God still continually provides. God gives them manna from heaven every day, and he tells them, do it exactly the way I'm telling you to do this. And the people being sinful, like we all can attest in our own lives, we have done things when God has provided. They don't follow through the way in which they're told to. 
and they see the way in which they have to suffer for that consequence of disobedience. But God continually provides. What about in the book of Daniel? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're told not to worship God. And they still consistently do it. So what do they do? They get thrown into the fiery furnace. And when they go to look and see what is happening in the fiery furnace, the king stops from it and he's like, wait a second. I thought I told you to put three in there. There's four. Just like the modern worship song, there was another in the fire standing next to me. We see that God intervenes in that moment and provides for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they come out of the fiery furnace. Nothing touches them. God has provided. God has intervened. What about Daniel when he's in the lion's den? He's thrown into the lion's den to be devoured by the lion. The next day, they walk in to check and see the scraps that are left, And Daniel's just there, laying on the lion, resting. God will do incredible things according to his perfect will for his people. We must cry out to God. We must understand that he is in control. We must understand that he will put to shame those who trample on us as David is crying out here in regard to Saul. He says that God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. No longer is David just asking for it. He knows and he trusts that God will do so because of his steadfast, another word for that is constant love and faithfulness. This is the God that David served. This is the God, church, that we serve. Verse four, my soul is in the midst of lions I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Notice like we've seen over the past few weeks, there's this kind of swaying back and forth of emotions and descriptions. David now uses this imagery of his soul being amid lions and fiery beasts. The pursuing enemy is after him like a fierce lion seeking out his prey. He describes the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And here in this moment, David is referring to just how powerful and hurtful the words of the people can be. See, many hateful things are being said of David by Saul and those who serve Saul. David's reputation was very much on the line here. These things are being said. This pursuit is after David. And David says, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. As I was reading this, I felt so impressed by God to to point out a reference that we see in the New Testament Because as these things are being said unto and about David, it reminded me of James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his epistle in the New Testament. He writes, and let me just interject, if you haven't read James in a while, read the book of James and be prepared to be challenged. If you have read it, read it again. It is a powerful book. James 3, 3 through 6 says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they may obey us, 
We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guiding by a small rubber, small rudder, excuse me, whenever the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. When James is writing this, he's referencing the point of just how incredibly powerful, and not necessarily for the good at times, our tongue, our mouth, our words can be. David's implying here in his writing that the spears and arrows, the tongues are like sharp swords, the things that are being said against him. When James is writing here, he talks about the, the, the bits that are put into the mouths of horses to guide it. The rudder that's for his strong ship, it's so small, yet it can do such an incredible thing with the ship. Our mouths, brothers and sisters, it can set a blaze of fire by the things that we say towards one another. We must encourage one another. We must love one another. We must build up one another. Because in doing those type things, the tongue can be extremely powerful to build up one another, to encourage one another. So David is saying these things. His, his soul is just so burdened by what he's facing. But then notice what happens in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Although this stuff is happening, he stops and he gives praise and adoration unto God for who God is. That is how we glorify God, by crying out to him. He wants to hear from his people. You may say, well, yeah, but God knows what I'm going through. Exactly. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows every hair that is numbered on your head. He knows everything that you face and go through. He wants to hear from his child. He desires to hear from his children. No matter what the circumstance may be, he wants to hear us. He wants to hear our crying out to him. So that's what David is doing here. Although David describes the mercy that is needed, the weariness that he's feeling, the pain and anguish that is there, he knows unto who, unto who he is talking to. He knows that he's crying out to Yahweh. And he knows that he can trust him. And he knows that he must worship him, the God above the heavens, whose glory be all over the earth. Don't miss this. Despite all those things, David praises God amid the difficulty. Let this be a reminder to each and every one of us, despite our circumstances, and they are all different, despite what they may be, God is still God. God is still sovereign. God is still working all things together for the good. So we glorify God in our crying out to him. And secondly, we glorify God with your worship. 
Glorify God with your worship. Verse six reads, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen themselves, fallen into it themselves. Selah. As we saw in verse five, David's response begins to shift and make this complete turn for the better, more hopeful adoration and praise unto God. Look at the imagery that David puts here before us. They set a net for my steps. In Saul's pursuit of David, he's prepared every possible way to seize and trap David. He says, my soul was bowed down. The relentless pursuit of David by his enemies made him weary and tired, thus to the point where his soul is bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but have fallen into it themselves. We see, don't miss this, time and time again, we've seen it in the account of Saul and David. Although Saul is continually seeking after David, David could have easily taken out Saul. But he doesn't come against the Lord's anointed. In Saul's pursuit after David, David is hiding in the cave. Saul goes into the cave that David is in to relieve himself, to use the bathroom. And David easily sneaks up behind him so quietly. I mean, this is the man that killed Goliath. Of course he can go stealth mode, right? And he creeps up behind Saul and is able to cut off a piece of the garment without even being detected. And as Saul goes out this cave, David goes out and he makes him see, hey, I could have easily taken your life, but I could not go against the Lord's anointed. Time and time again, David could have easily done it. Yet God provided the mercy for David to continue on and in that moment for Saul's life. Then we have this moment of rest, this brief breath of Selah. Verse seven says, my heart is steadfast, O God, My heart is steadfast. Here we see David completely make the flip. The flip has taken place. It is now all praise and adoration glorifying God. He said, my heart is steadfast. It is firm. Thus, he will make melody and sing praise unto God. I love Spurgeon's response to this. He says, he is calm, firm, happy, resolute, established. When the central axle is secure, the whole wheel is right. If our great bower anchor holds up, anchor holds, the ship cannot drive. Oh God, my heart is fixed, steadfast, firm. I am resolved to trust thee, to serve thee, and to praise thee. I just love this. Despite David's circumstance, he praises God. He's constantly focused on God. Is this our heartbeat, church family? Is our response when something happens to us to give praise to God? Maybe somebody speaks ill of us. What about when things don't go our way? Do we look too much to the negative without remembering the steadfast love and the greatness of his faithfulness unto us? 
I think the answer is that we can easily look too much at the negative and forget that God is still sovereign and that nothing catches them by surprise and that our trust is to be in him continually over and over and over even when things don't go the way that we think they should or we want them to go. The glory of God is primary. Giving him praise and adoration in the difficulties is what we should do because he deserves it. He's worthy of it. We are mere sinners that have been saved by the grace of God. Who are we to say, that is not the way I wanted things to go? No, 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 no. We cry out to him and we say, have mercy on me, God. Forgive me for this. In the midst of the difficulty, Lord, I praise you regardless of what it may be. Verse 8 says, Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. David's continual movement to praise and adoration now brings about the necessity of worship with his mouth and with instruments. Bring on the harp. Bring on the lyre to God. He says, I will awake the dawn. David will awaken the dawn pre-sunrise, people. With praise and adoration unto God. David is so moved to worship that he would just begin to exalt God before the sunrise even comes up. You know, in seeing that verse, it reminded me of something. In the book of Lamentations, as it's being written, and there's so many things that are being lamented over and just crying out to God, there's a beautiful verse that stands out there from Lamentations 3, 22 through 33. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, are never, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. had me thinking about David in this moment as David is writing these words. And he's so moved to worship God. And he says, I will awake the dawn. David knows that if God saw so fit for David to have breath in his lungs the next day, the mercies of God would be new. Therefore, God deserves the worship and the praise. For us, church family, and those of you that are watching online, every day that God gives us another day of breath in our lungs, it's a new day where the Lord and his steadfast love has not ceased. It is a new day of mercies that never come to an end. It's a new day where there is greatness of God's faithfulness unto us. Therefore, we should worship him and give him the glory for who he is and what he has done and what he will continue to do. Great is your faithfulness. David says next, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. David's continual praise of God declares that he will give thanks to the Lord, to the peoples, to the nations. 
I think this is a beautiful thing for us to see in his crying out of this, his desire to give praise to the Lord among the people and among the nations. It points us to something. It points us to something. When David becomes king, following after David, there is the one who was promised the Messiah that would come down from David's line, King Jesus, who would establish and sit on his throne forever and ever and ever. Jesus comes. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He dies a gruesome death for the sins of the world. And when Jesus dies that horrific death in your place, in my place, He cries out, it is finished. It is finished because the sin that separated man from God now has a way for eternal life. The repentance of sin, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in a heart that God raised him from the dead. If you repent and you believe, you are saved The nations that David desired to cry out to is now possible because of Jesus' finished work. It's no longer just Jew. It's Jew and Greek. It's Jew and Gentile. It's us. The beauty of God's faithfulness and his love to those who sinned against him is just so overwhelming. It is so beautiful. It is why he deserves our praise and adoration. It's why we must glorify him. David in verse 10 says, your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. We see that David makes this little bit of a flip from earlier. Because in verse 3c, it said, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. We see this sending out, David says, from God. And now here in verse 10, David is saying that he will declare that the Lord's love is great to the heavens and faithfulness to the clouds. God's love and his faithfulness comes all the way down to the lowliness of sinful people. And it goes all the way to the heavens. This isn't on the screen, but it reminds me of last month we were in Psalm 103 and you get to verses 11 and 12 and it says, great is the love of God as far as the heavens are to the earth and how much from the east to the west he has forgiven our transgressions. It's a beautiful picture of the love of God and the grace and mercy that he is willing to give to any and all who would repent and believe. And then David closes Psalm 57 with verse 11, going back and saying the same thing that he says in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. God, you deserve to be exalted. Your glory deserves to be all over the heavens and the earth. You alone are worthy. Which leads me to ask a concluding question. 
What is our response to this psalm? Is our response much like David's in this moment of saying, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I know it is very easy despite what the situations may be in our individual lives. It sometimes can be very hard to immediately jump to praise. I want to challenge all of us to let that be our heart's cry first. And I say all of us, including myself in that. You have those moments where things do not go well. An ill family member that you're taking care of. A financial situation. Difficulty in the workplace. Difficulty wherever. Difficulty in family life. I don't know what the circumstance may be, but the circumstances are not easy peasy. I get it. It's this life that we're in. It's sinful life that we're dealing with. We're people working with people. It's sin everywhere. We have those moments where we just want to say, God, be merciful in this moment, please. And in those moments, that is okay to have that crying out and lamenting and asking God to be merciful. But in that, remember who you're crying out to. You're crying out to the God most high. The sovereign God over this world that knows the pain that you feel. And is all deserving of the praise and worship that you can cry out to him. Take a moment of quiet reflection this morning. Quiet reflection and asking the Lord, God, what are you saying from this? What is my response to be to you? I would even encourage you if you're sitting there with your, with your journal or your notepad, whatever you're writing with, if, if there's something you need to respond with on paper to get it out, like do so. But take these next few moments to hear from God and to cry out to God. And then as we sing the last song, Cry out to him in worship of song. And cry out to him in your daily life of worship by what you do in your daily life. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And at the, during this time when, when the band comes up to sing, I'll be available and Pastor Walter's available. We'll be glad to talk with you guys, to pray with you to help you in next steps, whatever they may be. But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, great is your faithfulness. Lord, thank you that you are faithful. God, we honor you as the sovereign God over this world. 
And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the fact that we can see these type of responses in the scriptures. We see people like David who is being pursued by Saul and he's weary, he's worn, and he cries out to you for mercy. But even in the midst of all of that, Lord, he sees just how incredible you are and he gives you the praise and worship that you deserve. God, I pray that for every one of us within the sound of my voice, Lord, despite the circumstances that arise in our lives, whatever they may be, that yes, we cry out to you for mercy. We cry out for you for your will to be done in these things. But Lord, that we wouldn't just cry out, glorifying you granted in those times of crying out, but Lord, that we would worship you, that we would trust you, that we would honor you for who you are. Lord, whatever you are doing here in these next few moments, Lord, I pray, God, that you'd have your way, that you be glorified because you alone are worthy of it all. We love you, we bless you, we thank you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, amen.